Welcome to Girl Power History, Episode 5. Brianna, what's wrong with your face? (laughs) (laughs) Just really excited to be here. Happy Wednesday, everyone. This is going to be recorded and put up on the same day. Yep, because... We were busy this weekend. Yeah, what'd you do this weekend? (laughs) Oh, you know, just casually went to uh, California for a fabulous wedding. And uh, you were my date, if you don't remember. (laughs) You you were there with me. I was very dashing, I might say. Yes, you were fabulous. You looked great. Thanks. You looked great. Yeah, we actually took, like, good pictures together, which Mm -hmm. was fantastic. Maybe maybe we'll post one. So then we have a picture of us not as children on our Instagram page. Ooh. We'll post a wedding picture. So this weekend, we saw Dylan and Carly get married in slow, which I thought it was S-L-O, but it's slow because that's how you say it in California. Yes, we're um, promptly is, corrected. Yes. I'm not from California. <laughs> San Luis Obispo, or as the California people say, Californianites? California? Californians. According to SNL, it's the Californians. Ah, the Californians. So they say it slow. 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 We're in slow. (laughs) I was like, when I got corrected by the, the waitress, I was like, oh, well... I'm not from here. It's funny. That's when you have to make it really obvious and be like, and uh, so how are you? (laughs) Get get real Midwestern with it. That way they really know. Oh, oh, excuse me. (laughs) You gotta put like a five second and in there and you'll be, and they'll be like, oh, okay, Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just gonna sneak on by ya. There was a, um, a friend of mine, she was at a store and she was like, you know, going around someone and she was like, oh, excuse me, just going to sneak on by. And then they also were like, oh, and they like, they were like, Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so the wedding was fun. Yes, it was. Um, Congratulations, Carly and Dylan. It was beautiful. And just to let everyone know, they're the ones who do our intro and outro music. If you don't listen to the end where we do the credits. So, and if you don't, now you know. Yeah. There you go. There's a little so, Easter egg for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are so cute. Their wedding was amazing. And I was in tears. They like did their own vows and I was crying very not hard, but there was a lot of tears. They were happy tears, but it was just so cute. It was so much fun. It was uh all the Midwest people were in California and uh Got to catch up with a lot of people that I went to high school with, which I didn't actually know any of them. They were younger than both of us, but not by that many, like a year younger. I don't don't remember. I just was smiling next to you (laughs) and shaking my head like, oh, of course. And (laughs) there was a guy that um, lived in Boston and uh, we were- You you told him what Boston was like. You told him exactly what Boston was like. Even though he lived there. Even though he lived there, I needed to tell him what to do in Boston. But he's never been to Mike's Pastry in Boston. And that place is phenomenal. So, um, you know, anybody who 
is going to Boston or hasn't been to Boston, if you go, go to the North End, the Italian district, and go to Mike's Pastry, and then go have eggplant parmesan at literally any Italian restaurant down there. But anyways, I digress. But that was a funny conversation. That was was hilarious. from Boston. (laughs) He's from Boston, and I'm telling him what to do in Boston. (laughs) It was one of your more classic moments. I love food. So if you don't, like, if you're not traveling to go to food places... Like, why, why are you traveling? You know, anyways, I digress. So, um, what was the highlight of your weekend? I really, really, really like California. I also drove a Mercedes the entire time, which was fun. And now I also want one of those too. I feel like I lived my best life in California. And now that I'm back, I'm like, I'm a little bit sad. (laughs) I want to so. go back to pretending I lived there. I don't know. You looked good in that car. You looked good. I was like, I dang. I've already been looking at them on Carvana. <laughs> My lease Ooh. is up soon. We'll see what happens. I feel like it's not a family-friendly car, but hey, you know, I, whatever. The kids can walk. It's fine. <laughs> oh, you and John, Alexa's husband, was also there, uh, which Alexa was still my date, just to let everybody know. Yeah, yeah. John was. We did not go together. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was funny. Basically, Brianna and I went as dates. And then my husband, who was just first, he was just tagging along on the trip and wasn't going to go to the wedding, all of a sudden was invited to the wedding along with Brianna's sister. So they mm-hmm. went as dates. Yes. Which yes. was funny. And they, because two people canceled. Yeah. So then they got their spots, even though they were both not going to be going to the wedding. They were just going to hang out with us. And, and in true them. fashion with our family, they assumed the identities of the other people in full <laughs> and went to the wedding as Kelly and Serena. So it didn't end at the wedding. They were Kelly and Serena all weekend. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> Kelly, um, a.k.a. John. Uh, really played the part. And uh, Serena, fantastic job. And whoever Kelly and Serena really are, I would love to know if they did, you know, a little... Got the character right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious curious. as well. So, you know, anyways. So it was a blast. My, I guess not my highlight, but one of the coolest parts of the wedding was I worked out next to Terry from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 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 So I like got on the warm-up bike. Like I went to warm up on a bicycle and I was pulling up my workout on my phone and I go to like turn and place my water bottle in like behind the bike and I like turn and he's right next to me and I go, ah! and like turn like back and I'm like, Oh my god! And then I just like look, like I pull him up on my phone just to like triple check that that's him, and it's him. And then of course, like when I'm at the gym, I don't want someone to come up and like talk to me. So I'm like, okay, I'll just like wait till he's done working out, and I'll like say, hey, I love your show, and then like yell nine nine and like not be creepy. But then it ended up I was just creepy the entire time because then I was like staring at him to see when he was done with his workout, and I was lifting. And he was lifting and we, he put, he like put down weights and I like picked him up. So like I touched the same weights as Terry. So like, that was cool. He was doing um, his shoulders and I was doing squats with twenties, but whatever. Same thing. Um, <laughs> no brag. No know, brag. I, I felt really strong. So, um, and then I like, I do my circuit workout for 
you know, like an hour and a half, really trying to extend it here. He's on the treadmill and he's running for like an hour and a half the entire time I'm doing my circuit. And then when he, like, when I'm done with my circuit, I'm like, okay, you can be done. I want to say hi to you. So he's still running. Didn't get my, my memo, but, um, so I get on the treadmill, I run a mile, I walk a mile and he's still running. I'm like, come on, like be done. I want to say hi. I want to take a picture. So I have proof that you were here with me. And, uh, yeah, then I, I decided to not be super creepy and I left him alone, but, um, but it was cool. He's a beast. And, uh, I didn't want to be a super creep, even though I felt like I was. Do you think he kept running until you left? Like he like (laughs) got off the treadmill as soon as you walked out. Like, oh my god, that girl was so weird. I bet that's what happened. I bet I don't think so. Exhausted on the treadmill and was like, I just I gotta keep going until she leaves. Oh my god! I saw her pull me up on IMDb. I know, right? No, he probably does work out like he works out like five hours a day. Terry Terry keeps in tip top, tip top shape, tip tip top shape. Yeah, his muscles were um, very very large. And I thought he was. Oh, yeah, they were. Yeah, his arms were chiseled. Um, But I thought he was like much taller. And I mean, I'm five ten. So, and then I was wearing my tennis shoes, so a little bit taller. So. Um, but he's six two, and I was like, oh, I just for some reason I thought he was like a giant. And because you looked up his size and dimensions when you were sitting next to him on the bike, yes, (laughs) because I I also wanted to make sure that it was for sure him. And I was like, because I looked at him and I was like, oh, he's kind of like not as tall as I thought he would be. So then I was like, maybe it's not him. It's like it looks like him, but um, yeah, it's him. It was him for sure. So, anyways, yeah, I got I got a little creep about it it's fine but he's so funny i love that show i know so i did want to yell like nine nine as i was like running out the door um i didn't so whatever i wanted to be appropriate so but it was cool it was cool so yeah that was fun but anyways let's do this show so sorry we just wanted to catch up everybody on our weekend because it's very important for you to know what's going on and i'm sure you guys all care a lot yeah, I'm sure you cared. And if uh, if you don't, just fast forward to uh, 10 minutes and you'll be good. But also, we needed to catch up each other on what we did because it was a blur. Because yeah, because <laughs> we were with each other all weekend, but we need to, to talk about it. We need to talk about everybody else. <laughs> all right. Let's all right. do this. Girl power. Yeah. History. All right. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29th, 1924, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in an area called Hyde Park. She was the middle child of five siblings who were all girls. Elizabeth spent most of her life in Medford, Massachusetts. She also lived in Portland, Maine for a time. Elizabeth's father was a miniature golf course designer, which I did not know was a thing. In like the 1920s. That doesn't even seem like it's a real job now. Like I know they're out there, but. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I guess people design golf courses, but a miniature golf course? Like, I mean, there has to be designs for it, but I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So specific, very niche. Yes, very niche. But after the stock market crashed in 1929, he lost everything. The family was left with nothing. 
So shortly after, his car was found abandoned on the Charlestown Bridge, and it was believed that he jumped into the river and was deceased, even though his body was never found. Which, I don't know, it's kind of a big cliffhanger for me. It's like one of those like mystery shows. The body was never found. Never found. After Elizabeth's father went missing, her mother moved herself and all five girls into a small apartment in Medford, Massachusetts, and began working as a bookkeeper to support them. At the age of 15, Elizabeth, who suffered from chronic bronchitis and asthma attacks, underwent lung surgery, and it was recommended that she reside in a milder climate during the winter in order to lessen the chances of future respiratory problems. Sorry, what kind of surgery were they performing then? For lung surgery. I have no idea. New lungs, three lungs. We could yeah, speculate all day. I just, that's crazy. Okay. And I didn't realize they were advanced that far back then. I wouldn't call them advanced. I would call them just trying some stuff out. Poking around at the lungs. <laughs> she spent many winters with family and friends in Florida for the next three years. I wish a doctor told me that, like, for your health, it would be best if you lived in, I don't know, somewhere like Majorca most of the time. The Midwest <laughs> environment is just not hospitable to you. I'd be like, well, he said Majorca. We must listen to our doctors. I would not question that. that no, one. no. I need a doctor's note to move to a tropical climate. <laughs> All right. So get this. In 1942, 12... Or 13 years later, after mathing, after her dad disappeared, Elizabeth's mother gets a letter of apology from her husband, who isn't dead, because he sent a letter. And you can't do that if you're dead, I don't think. Are, wait, are you sure it was him? No one else sent the letter? No. Okay. The letter said, a doctor told me my lungs were not hospitable for this environment, so I abandoned my family. I'm just kidding. Oh my God. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, it said that he. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. It said that he started a new life in California. Not sure if you saw it on Facebook. Mm. How do you, the fuck do you even write that letter? Like, I'm trying to picture then- like a piece of garbage because he abandoned his family and like five daughters and a wife. And then, and then you like write a letter, like explaining yourself, like, like why? Just leave it. Just think like, let everybody think you're dead. It would be better if you were just dead. Well, I mean, it would be better if he was dead, but just like, if you're starting a new family, like why even go back to that? Like you left. Like is it guilt? Cause it's selfish if it's guilt, I think. Well, yeah, but. I mean, if he went to the extent to stage his own death, like, obviously, he wanted to leave. And instead of just being like, I'm leaving, he he went to that extent, which is, is kind of a little psycho, just a yeah. uh, l- little crazy there. But and the, but like, why write a letter? Why be like, just kidding, I'm not dead. By the way, <laughs> I know you've had a really <laughs> shitty life for the next like last like 13 years supporting five daughters by yourself. But surprise. So anyway, picture a giant piece of garbage writing a letter. Mm -hmm. Like, I got it. I did all this stuff. Also, if you're picturing a talking piece of garbage right now, where's the mouth? I can't visualize it in my head. Maybe it's too early Mm. in the morning. 
I'm picturing like a newspaper talking to me. That's what I'm visualizing. Like a you know, like newspaper. Yeah, or like in Harry Potter, where the where the letter is like screaming. Yeah. Um, kind of like that, but like dirtier. Yeah. That's what I got, at least. A howler. You're thinking of a howler. howler. Yes, a howler. So if we're there, so you know what we're talking about. I think I think I'm picturing a dumpster fire where like the flaps on top are just like. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm a dick. Anyway, okay. Glad we have that visual now. Now we can continue. Anyway. So the human garbage is writing the letter. Yep. Okay. Continue. I do think that this is a really good time to point out that this is one of the first defining moments of abandonment in Elizabeth Short's life. To think that your father abandoned you via suicide is one devastating reality to live with. But For Elizabeth and her mother and sisters, realizing that your father abandoned you because it was easier for him to leave than face his responsibility and support his family. I mean, how awful of a person do you really have to be to follow through with that plan? But also, like, just I don't understand why he even, like, wrote them. Was there a reason? Did we find out the reason why? No. Okay. So even though her father was a hot piece of garbage... As we discussed, in 1943, Elizabeth decided that she wanted to relocate and live with her father, whom she hadn't seen since she was six years old. And I understand this because I think it's fair to want to know the people that created you. And when you're 16, you're filled with so much hubris and that hubris transfers to the ideals of your parents. And you think that they can never be bad people and you still want to know who they are because they're like a part of who you are. So I sort of get it. I'm defending her choice, not him. I don't. Okay. That's fair. No, I'm, I'm, I was just trying to like understand that. I mean, I've never been in this situation, but I feel like as me, if someone pretended to die and didn't want to be with us and then wrote like, just getting him alive, I'd be like, well, why would you even, like want to continue a relationship with any of us, I would never go out of my way to like try to build that relationship. Yeah. I think that's a fair conjecture. Yeah. Anyways. All right. So then what happens? So Elizabeth lived with her father for about a month, but she moved out after having constant arguments with him. So turns out he was still a dick. Hmm. Shocking. So she moved in with some friends she had met and got a job at a base exchange near Lompoc. It was called Camp Cook at the time, but is now known as Vanderburg Air Force Base. Um, She was also briefly living with an Army Air Force sergeant who was said to have been abusive. So that didn't last either. A few months Mm -hmm. after that, she left Lompoc for Santa Barbara. On September 23rd, 1943, she was arrested for underage drinking. Authorities sent her back to Massachusetts after being arrested, but she actually went back to Florida and only briefly visited Massachusetts every once in a while. You got arrested for underage drinking then? Mm-hmm. In Santa Barbara. How old was she? We were just in Santa Barbara. And that was in 1943 she was arrested for underage drinking? She was 19. I just feel like that's a dumb age to get arrested for that, like... Wasn't drinking like 18 then anyways? I don't know. That just, I don't know. I seem I, like, I feel like, I feel like, like drinking and driving was like, 
oh, you're drunk? Oh, don't drive. Give the keys to the person next to you or I'll just follow you home. Like actually getting arrested for underage drinking just seems crazy to me. So give the keys to whoever's less drunk. Yeah. Like, I mean, that happened to our parents. Like, yeah, that was not too long ago. And now like, so 19. And then, I mean, in Wisconsin, it was 18 with a parent for when I was, when we were growing up. And then it changed, I think when I was like, I don't know, 20. So there was like one year that when we went to Wisconsin, I couldn't have a drink with my parents, but yeah. like the bars still were doing it. <laughs> so that's just, okay. So I digress. Dumb, dumb arrest, but I'll continue. So. Um, let's see. Okay. So she got, she went back to Florida and she met Major Matthew Gordon, who was an Air Force officer who was deployed to India during World War II. Elizabeth told her friends that Matthew proposed marriage to her in a letter while he was recovering from a plane crash, and she accepted. But on August 10th, 1945, he died in a second plane crash, which was one week before Japan surrendered and the war ended. The man was in two plane crashes. Isn't that insane? That's like some final destination, like mumbo jumbo. Like, that's so crazy. I feel like I mean, I feel, I'm like surprised that he survived one of them. I know, but and then and then didn't make it through the second one. And also to like get back and continue to do that, I'd be like, I quit. Right? <laughs> I know you can't really quit that, but like, I know. I'd be like, can you transfer me not to fly a plane anymore? I want to work on the ground. <laughs> Is there a bus force? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's sad. Well. Thank you for your service, um, Matthew, Michael, Gordon. So in July of 1946, she relocated back to California, this time to Long Beach with another Air Force lieutenant whom she met in Florida. His name was Gordon Fickling. Eventually, they went to Hollywood where they went their separate ways. Gordon went back to Long Beach and Elizabeth stayed in Hollywood with friends. While she was in Los Angeles, she stayed in a room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard, which is a dance club that opened in 1938 and still exists. It has a two and a half star Yelp rating. (laughs) (laughs) I looked it up. I was curious. So uh, not so good anymore, but probably used to be a rager back in the day. They were jumping and jiving and all that stuff. Love it. Love it. Although Elizabeth wrote to her mother that she was pursuing acting in Hollywood, according to her friend, she never showed much interest in the movies. Elizabeth okay. was last seen at the Biltmore Hotel on July 9th, 1947. Six days later, on the morning of January 15th, the body of Elizabeth Short was found in a small lot in the middle of a South Los Angeles neighborhood. With many other accessible places to inconspicuously hide a body, it was clear that Elizabeth's death was used to send a message, a message that is still unclear to this day, albeit for one clear characteristic, terror. The manner in which her body was found is infamous. You can see plenty of pictures online on thousands of TV shows and podcast episodes that describe it in horrific detail. I think when she was found and how she was found really becomes the visual focal point for the end of her life in general. And I would really like to just for one episode of one podcast, change the narrative of her story by not glorifying it with 
the description. I am, however, going to read what the news article said because I think it's interesting to read like how news articles describe things, especially like a long time ago. So American, 22 years, 5 feet, 6 inches, 118 pounds, black hair, green eyes, very attractive, bad lower teeth, fingernails chewed to the quick. This subject was found brutally murdered, body severed, and mutilated January 15th, 1947 at 39th and Norton. That's all they wrote? Yeah. Did this before they knew who it was? This was like the first. No, because they were still looking for her. They did find her out who she was very quick because of the arrest. And they used a fax machine, which was like very new for the time. But this is like the first headline that a woman was murdered. But I just think it's so like crazy. Like she was very attractive, but she did have bad teeth and she chewed her nails. Like, oh my God, Karen. No. Oh, you're still here. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, there's no like asking who she was or if anyone could give further information. And also who, who didn't have bad teeth then? Like, yeah. I mean, except for grandma, her teeth are, I don't know what that lady does with her teeth, but 96 year old and she still has all of her teeth. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that is disturbing and sad. That's all they wrote about her life. So Elizabeth Short was just a kid when she was brutally murdered. Not only was her life taken away in one of the most violent murders in American history, and that murder has been glamorized in Hollywood noir. Her name was taken away too. She will be forever known as the Black Dahlia in death. Elizabeth Short was a victim and people should know her real name and not the character that was created in the world of Hollywood tragedy. I really wanted to focus this episode on Elizabeth's life, but the reality was that her life was brief and that's not fair. Newspapers and police will go on to say that she was a transient who was once arrested for underage drinking in Santa Barbara, which on paper is true, but also think about what your life is like in your early 20s. It's a time when you're supposed to be a transient because you're just trying to figure out your life and find out where you belong in the world. You're transitioning from childhood to adulthood. I mean, I'm 31 and I still feel like that most of the time. (laughs) I don't know what I want to be when I I grow up. Yeah. And I did dumb things when I was in my 20s too. Exactly. I mean, getting arrested for underage drinking is uh, not very, um, not uncommon i think either like no. that's a, that doesn't make you a bad person no and i think that soul searching and exploring should not be viewed as a derogatory label or a way to victim blame yeah yeah i guess i didn't um well i don't really do a lot of like murder podcasts and all that stuff and the i think there was a movie like a is a black and white movie or something that's about this um there was it was with josh hartnett i think it's it's called black dahlia was that movie in color or not i don't remember i don't i don't remember but that's the only thing i recognize from this otherwise i didn't know about her at all and i feel like it's probably a very common one but i yeah i don't really know a lot of my my murders I think it's just every, like everything I've ever come across about the Black Dahlia is just like, 
but this is like how her body was found. And like, this is what happened to her. And it was just like this. It's one of the most graphic American murders of all time. And, you know, just focusing on that, like, it's just, you're just making a shell of a story that, you know, there's a real person behind it. But I think that's kind of how most, I mean, like serial killers and everything like that, that's not focused on the victims. It's focused on the the act itself, the murder or the person who is, you know, capable of committing murder because, and I think that's very twisted. And we, I mean, I'm glad you, you did the episode like this to talk about her history and her life and her struggles, because then you can really know who the person is. And um, Elizabeth Short, aka Black Dahlia, see, I don't even know. <laughs> but it's just like, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to know her backstory too. So the truth was that Elizabeth Short grew up abandoned by her father and then heartbroken after the death of her would-be fiancé. These tragedies left her longing for the prospect of love and the need to be wanted by someone else. Everyone who wants to be wanted in this world, and we are all allowed to search for it. Nothing is wrong about that. The story of Elizabeth Short serves as an example of how the media can manipulate a story and rewrite the narrative of someone's entire identity without letting them have any say because murder victims are not here to defend themselves. And if you think about the atrocities of the Black Dolly murder itself, it's awful. It needs no punching up. And the fact that the media chose to elaborate on a murder as horrific as this paints a very clear picture of the need for salacious bloodlust that still exists today in our media. The narrative of needing to punch up the victim is quite disgusting to me as well. In one story, she's labeled as promiscuous. Another, that she's a sex worker. I believe that these labels were used at that time because of both of those things attribute to kind of dehumanize the victim. And later, that would eventually be coined as NIP or non-important person, which would become commonplace in police reporting especially for victims of a lower economic status, lower economic status and sex workers. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Uh, she was illustrated in that way. So, you know, women in the area could feel less relatable to the victim and thus less scared that they would be victims themselves. I, I mean, her life story, definitely, um, going from her father abandoning her or her fiance dying before they could get married. Those are extremely like tragic and traumas. Those are major triggers. And for her to, I guess, be victimized as a promiscuous woman for dating and maybe, you know, I feel like a lot of women who were very attractive during that time were also uh, given you know, they were looked at more, they were flirted with more. So, and other women and other men would just assume because they're good looking that they were promiscuous as well. And I think that is very, very relevant in Hollywood. And uh, there's a few other stories like coming up that I would love to highlight that. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it went down to, you know, being a beautiful woman, you would get paid less because they would be like, Oh, well you're promiscuous. Like, and that's not even like the person who they are. It's just how they look. And you take 
their look and she is beautiful. Uh, she was beautiful. And I feel like people just looked at her and said, I mean, even in the autopsy report, they said she was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like how, and of course that's how they'll portray her. And because of how she looks, she was known to be promiscuous and she has an arrest on her record mm-hmm. from when she was 19 years old doing underage drinking, which is not doing a normal thing that people. kids do. Yeah. Doing, doing something normal. That's not like, you know, she was ever arrested for being a prostitute. There was no, there's no record of any of that. There's none of her friends that state that it's just yep. other people trying to make her not relatable and look bad. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I think it's just really sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is sad. Beyond the fact that these traits do not make her life less important or any victim's life less important, they were also completely false. Elizabeth Short met a monster, a monster who took her life away and then took her body to use as a sick symbol to grab the attention of all of Los Angeles in a way that created a fear and myth in the city for over 75 years. Beyond a story shrouded in mystery is a woman, a woman without justice and a family without answers. And that is the story of Elizabeth Short. Wow. So there have been, there's a lot of books written. There's a lot of books that I I can think of two offhand that are like, uh, one of them says like, oh, my dad was the Black Dahlia killer. And there's another one. There's two books that have said that um, a lot of people speculated that it was a surgeon, you know, who killed her. And I don't really want to talk about them because I feel like those, those suspects have like had their day in the sun almost more than the case has been talked about. I think framing it in that sort of way, it just, it's just so weird to me. And I don't find it helpful for the case. So there was no arrests made. No one was ever charged for this. So she was, no, no one has ever been charged for the murder. They had a lot of suspects. They actually did look up a lot of surgeons in the Los Angeles area. And they were, you know, almost all suspects. It's just sad that they never got closure, justice, her family. And there was no, you know, there's no why behind it. Yeah. There was... And that's that happens with other murders, but when it's this uh, famous and you still don't have an answer, then it, it just no wonder why people are terrified for seventy five years. Yeah. So there are a lot of books about Elizabeth Short's murder and the notorious suspects that have been infamously implicated in her murder. I think most of them are fantastical and mainly contribute to the conjecture that surrounds the case. Instead of talking about people banking on speculation, I would rather highlight a few people that are working to solve the case and those are working who are working to dispel many inaccuracies that have been made in the case and instead put forth the truth in order to help clarify and move forward toward a path that might help solve this case one day. First um, is Detective Mitzi Roberts of the LAPD, who has been assigned to the case for over 10 years and still receives a call nearly once a week with tips and information. So this case is still an open case in the LAPD. It is never closed and there is still an officer investigating it today. 
Next um, is a really cool article that I read yesterday that I will include in our show description is a guy named Larry Harnish, and he's an investigative journalism who gained interest in the case when he was assigned to write an LA Times article on the 15th anniversary of Elizabeth's murder. I'm sorry, I meant the 50th anniversary of Elizabeth's murder. Different, way different. (laughs) Um, He has now been investigating the case for over 24 years and is writing a book about the homicide and investigation with particular focus on only including verified factual information. He has interviewed over 150 people regarding the case, including people who knew Elizabeth and officers that were at the scene, and even the woman who discovered her. And there's a really awesome article about him that I use a lot for the podcast too. It's on crimereads.com. So I will have that linked in the show description. It was one of the coolest articles I've ever read regarding the Black Dahlia case, and I've, I've, I think I've read almost every article. This is one of my, my favorite murders. So I, I know a lot about it, but this was a really interesting article. And then, lastly, I'm just going to plug another podcast right now, um, which is called The Murder Squad. It's hosted by Billy Jensen and Paul Holes, and I'm bringing them, them up because this is still an open case. And it doesn't matter how old the case is. Elizabeth Short deserves justice. And you can also send any tips and information to jensenholes at gmail.com. Very cool. Good job. And that's all I got. Yeah. It's, um, it's really awesome that you highlighted the victim and went through her life story. Um, instead of going through the gruesome details that I'm just now reading and they are terrible. So let's not do that. Um, yeah, I I guess I can see how it got out of hand so quickly, but um, to make her into not a average woman, to make her into something less than human for for what happened to her, um, is terrible, and that is making the victim victimized again after death. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know doing the episode this way probably isn't the most interesting because it's, yeah, it's leaving out the, you know, salacious details that I think a lot of people want from, you know, true crime. Uh, that's not what we're here for. Yeah. We're, we're not a true crime podcast and we are, we want to highlight women throughout history and this woman and this is her history. Yeah. And this is her history. We, she was, um, gruesomely murdered and she is a victim and she, uh, she still needs to be remembered as who she was, not who people made her to be. Yeah. So I appreciate how you did this. I like it. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Good job. Oh, so, guys. um, <laughs> And uh, you can go and read all the gruesome details if you want to, but yep. if you don't like any of that stuff, I would uh, I would recommend avoiding all of that because I'm not big into this the murder gruesome stuff. So uh, yeah, I would avoid it if you aren't into it. <laughs> so um, well, good job. Next part of our show. Who is your girl crush? Woo! You go first. 
Okay. So one of uh, my favorite books that I've read multiple times, I think it's just a good book to go back to when you need a little reset for, you know, your mind. So it's called uh, Mindset and it is uh, by Carol Dweck. Um, she is a psychologist. She has a PhD. She, she wrote a book and it's called, um, it's called Mindset, the New Psychology of Success. So, and it's, um, how we can learn and fulfill our potential. So she talks about having, um, a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. So, and people who have a fixed mindset is essentially saying like, you're, you're not willing to like learn or you don't have the, like that uh, drive to like grow. And which I know is very easy to get stuck in that rut because I have been there multiple times where you're doing kind of that same thing. You're getting kind of burnt out on what you do or, you know, it's like the day to day stuff and you're just kind of, you're, you have a fixed mindset. This is what it is, but it kind of points you into having to go into a growth mindset to continue to grow as a person, to continue to grow your relationships. And just like the psychology behind like how to become the fixed mindset and how to continue to be on the, or how to become the growth mindset and continue to grow in your professional, your parenting styles, your business, school. Um, so it kind of has sections in the book and it's just, I've read it multiple times and I always go back to, to the business and the, the relationships because it just, especially I'm a newlywed. So, you know, going into the, the growth relationship, like, you know, building, building a relationship with my husband and continuing to, to get to know each other and to find ways to continue to communicate and, and making sure we're not ever going to be in like a, a fixed point in our relationship. And then with business, making sure that I'm always, you know, continuing to grow and have the mindset to, to kind of think out of the box. So it's, I really like her, her book. If you have time, listen to it on Audible or get the book. It's a quick read. It's only like, I don't know, 250 pages. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's, it's a quick read. It's nothing crazy. And she's not, she goes into like, very simple psychology. Like it's not, it's not hard to understand if you're not like a psych major or anything like that. So yeah, great book. Love it. Look it up, watch her Ted talks or her YouTube stuff. Yeah. Big fan. I think she was a professor at Stanford actually. Ooh. So she kind of knows what she's doing a little, a little bit. bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, that's my girl crush and, uh, great job. Yeah. What about you? Thank you. Um, so mine's also super um, highbrow. I was reading an article this morning. Jillian Anderson says she's not wearing a bra anymore. So, Ooh. and I am totally, Free. I'm totally here for this. I'm done. I'm done. Free the tatas. Yeah. Like why? 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 Why did like, why? Why did, why did we have them in the first place? I don't know. She specifically says that she doesn't care if they reach your belly button. And I'm like, Get it, get it, girl. But yeah, I think I think I... that's something like pandemic. Because I mean, like, I didn't wear a bra for like eight months because I was at home. So, and I really, I really haven't gone back to it that much. 
So free, I've just free the tatas. Free the tatas. I'm, I mean, I'm into it, but I, I also feel like I wear really comfortable bras. Like nothing is sexy about my bras. So I, that's probably the biggest transition I've made in (laughs) with, with my undergarments during COVID. I, um, I bought Costco bras that are like (laughs) real comfortable. (laughs) Like I was like, no, these look good. Like that's how like, I don't care anymore. Like, I don't know if it's because I turned 30 and I'm just like, "Eh," and I'm married and I'm just like, well, these work. These look comfortable. They're essentially like sports bras, but they're like actual bras. So whatever. And what exactly are you going to do with a palette of bras, Brianna? (laughs) I it's just two bras that came in a pack. Sure it they're is. They're really comfortable. 75 bras. <laughs> and they're like cheap. You go to Victoria's Secret or like Nordstrom's and buy your bras with like $60. And you're like, this thing's not even comfortable. So yeah. You're like, oh, but it's sexy. I'm like, screw that. I want comfort. Yeah. I mean, I, wear, like other- I wear sports bras, but like that's like my shirt if I'm working out. So is that the same thing? I don't know. This looks oh, like a sports oh, bra. I'm looking at her bra, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, too bad. It's very nice. No video here. It's, it's very comfy. nice. DKNY. There's some is sort of letters. Branch. I think they're trying to tell me something. DKNY. It looks Your like... boobs don't know how to spell. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a word. They're drunk. <laughs> But yeah, it's a comfy bra. It's uh yeah, so otherwise no bra or yeah. free free the tatas or just wear comfortable things I'm because here for it. I'm over I'm over being uncomfortable. Women already have to do so much. Yep. <laughs> we have to birth children. We have the the and run the world. It's thing. so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. We do it all. All right. We're here to show you at Girl Power History. Girl Power History. All right, should we get out Girl of here? Girl Power History. This was a this yeah. was a quick episode, but we're still this here. Not that quick. Not that quick. Um, anybody email you yet? Nope, but I'm hoping. Hint, oh. hint, hint, hint. Um, email us if you would like us to highlight a business or um, something you're doing or you know something you're proud of we want to highlight you we want to highlight your friends all extremely powerful women throughout history throughout what you're doing right now um, we'd love to talk to you about it so uh, connect with us on social media and uh, yeah that's it and check out our sources in our show description so yep yeah. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. Night. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our dear friends, Carly and Dylan Peterson, for creating our theme song and show music. You can follow their band, Valentine, on Spotify and on social media at, at Valentine the Band. Visit our show description for sources and episode links. Email us at hello at girlpowerhistory.com and follow us on all social media platforms at, at girlpowerhistory. Girl Power History